All right, and again, good morning. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, as I said, we'll be in Matthew 4, continuing our preaching series on the good news kingdom that Matthew is showing us in his gospel. And if you're like me, there is never a shortage of need for good news. So this morning, we're going to see more of this good news that Matthew in his gospel is showing us. And uh, if you haven't been with us in a while, or if you are newer, we've been in this series now since Christmas. We started at the beginning of Matthew, in Matthew 1, which started out with a massive genealogy showing all of the names and people and history and family line of Jesus going all the way back from the beginning of creation to God's Son coming, showing the reality that Jesus is fulfilling and stepping into God's story. Then we moved into seeing that Jesus, even as he was born as an infant, he identified with the people of Israel because he himself was sent on an exodus and an exile as he had to flee to Egypt as a baby with his parents and then come back to the promised land. We've seen that Jesus has been baptized by John in Matthew 3. We've seen the Spirit pour affirmation onto Jesus as God's true beloved Son, his representative for the nation of Israel. We saw Jesus do battle, solo combat with Satan in the wilderness Jesus overcame in the wilderness where Israel had failed and where we too often fail in temptation. And then a couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus begin this launch of his ministry. And do you remember from a couple weeks ago, he went to the least likely of places. He went to the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, which it's like, wait, what are those random places? Those were the regions in the north, the regions that had been cut off, the places where people were said to live in gloom and darkness. It was the heathen Gentiles that the Jewish people despised. You want to know who Jesus decided to start his mission with? Those people. So he went there and began preaching in that area. And then last week, Scott showed us that Jesus, as he calls the 12 disciples around him, he's, Scott used the big word, reconstituting the nation of Israel. Forming a new constitution of who is the people of Israel going to be formed around. And I am not a sports guy. I don't pretend to be a sports guy, but Scott used a sports analogy that even I could appreciate. Do you guys remember that? We talked about, uh, is it the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady? How a couple years ago, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers weren't that great of a team, but then they reformed their whole team around one guy. They reconstituted, they reorganized themselves as a team around one guy, Tom Brady. And he, as Scott said, we're not comparing Jesus to Tom Brady. But the reality of what that represented is what we see Jesus doing. He's reforming Israel, not around a temple, not around the law, around himself. We saw even in that that Jesus was calling these men and calling us to come and follow after him. And so now we're in the last three verses of Matthew 4. We're going to be in verses 23 through 25. And what we're going to see is Jesus begins a very unique work here that is going to carry on all the way up to the cross. Jesus here is not just reforming and calling people around himself, but here Jesus begins the work of publicly pushing back on Satan. Publicly pushing back on the effects of the fall and the curse. As Jesus begins his work of healing... He's throwing down the gauntlet on Satan, sin, and death. You guys familiar with that term, throwing down the gauntlet? 
It's a term uh, used in historical times that in older cultures and civilizations, when you wanted to challenge somebody to a duel, you wanted to confront them, you wanted to defend your honor or your reputation, you would take off your glove or your gauntlet and you'd go up to them and you'd throw it down in front of them. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here as he begins the work of healing, showing Satan's sin and death, I'm here to stay. Your reign, which has been untouched, is done. Maybe you've seen that in movies like Hamilton or Medieval Knights where they would go to defend something. Jesus here is doing that on behalf of his people, on behalf of those who were wounded, those who were sick, those who were living in death. And as I said, we're going to see that work carry all through Matthew and then climax at the cross, which we'll, which we'll look at in just a couple of weeks as we conclude the season of Lent. And so today... In our passage, we're going to see Jesus going far and wide, healing all kinds of diseases, all kinds of people. But here's what I want you to realize. Jesus doesn't heal people because he's a nice guy. He is. But he's healing people but he, because he's beginning the bombardment on Satan's kingdom. That's actually what's happening in this passage. So I'm going to ask Ben Missentone to come up and read our passage for us. Um, and before Ben reads, I want you guys to just want to, again, affirm this in our minds that what's about to happen, the public reading of the word, this is the most important thing we're going to do today. Me talking, sharing, singing, that's all really important, but God's word being spoken over God's people, this is the most important thing we're going to do. Okay? So, Ben, go for it. And he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the reality that your good news kingdom was not just about spiritual healing, but physical healing. Jesus, as we go now to look at this text and see how you began this public attack on Satan's domain, on the domain of death, I pray, Spirit of God, that we would see your word speaking to us, to our wounds, to our pain, to the areas where we don't understand how or why you're doing what you're doing. Would we see in Jesus, not just someone who is powerful, but someone who we can trust. So I ask for your help personally for these next couple of minutes of preaching, and I ask for all of us, your people, that Spirit, you would open our eyes and show us Jesus and his beauty. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Jesus is here commencing his public warfare of his ministry. We already saw him do battle with Satan in the wilderness, but here he takes that work public. So what I first want us to see is the healing range of Jesus, the healing range of Jesus. Jesus is bringing restoration. He's bringing a reclaiming to all the areas where death and Satan had been unchallenged. But his healing, notice in the text, it's paired with preaching. 
His healing is paired with this proclamation that God is now king. If you ever read the phrase kingdom of God, and you're like, what does that mean? It means what does it look like when God is king? That's what Jesus is showing us here. He's showing us that the healing range of Jesus means that the realm of God is now being met with the realm of humanity. Heaven and earth are becoming one. Do you see that? And in this passage, what we see is Jesus doing three primary things. He's teaching, says he's proclaiming, and then it says he's healing. So let's just think about those terms for a second. He's teaching, but where? Where does it say he's teaching? He's teaching in the synagogue. He's teaching in the place where historical Israel came together to hear the law preached, to hear the plan of God unfolded. So Jesus is stepping into that space and saying, yeah, this is all pointing to me. All of the law and the temple is now being fulfilled in me. So he would teach in the synagogues. But it says he's preaching. He's preaching about the reality, this proclamation that God is now king. And then it says he begins to do this very unique work of healing. He's teaching, he's proclaiming the gospel, and he's healing people. And if you notice the list of healings, you can even look. The list of healings, all the different locations that were involved, you realize that Jesus is not just healing a random list of diseases. But he's bringing healing to diseases that would have separated people. Separated people from their families, separated people from other races, other cultures, healing that would have brought uh, diseases that would have brought separation economically to people. So then we see the healing range of Jesus doesn't just show heaven and earth becoming one, it shows that Jesus is healing to bring back together what had been separated. His healing destroys separation because. Maybe you didn't know this. In the law of God, disease and sickness always knew that this was happening because of the fall. Diseases represented separation and sin, not just a medical reality of, oh, you're sick, you have leprosy. Oh, you're sick, you can't walk. No, there was something much deeper because people were deemed unclean for the community because of their sicknesses. But the Old Testament promised that a Messiah would come who would be a healer. He would heal his people. This is physical, but it's also spiritual because notice, the demons can't stop Jesus. He brings healing to where demonic oppression had been strong. Because think about it. Jesus could have just shown up and preached the gospel. He could have just shown up and told people to come and follow him and to put their faith, their allegiance in him as the true king. And he could have just left them and not healed them. But he didn't. He showed up in flesh and blood. He showed up in people's homes, as we're going to see. He showed up on the roads, in the city square, showing us, guys, the physical things matter. Because if they didn't, then why would he have healed people who would later go on to die again? He's healing to show that the physical stuff that we live with, our flesh and blood, our bodies, actually matter. Think about this. Your garden matters. You caring for things in this world matters. Jesus is showing us the physical stuff matters. 
And we also see that his physical healing, it's turning back the effects of death. Where death had reigned, because even if you think about that, like everything from our little aches and pains that we feel in our body, like, oh, I got a headache today, or oh, I've got COVID, or oh, I've got this ravaging disease, all of that is connected to death. All of that is connected to the fact that we live in a broken world marred with sin and death. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm putting that back. I am turning back the effects of death. Jesus steps in with a force and a power that even 2,000 years later, where we are now, modern medicine can't explain it. Other than saying, that's fake, it never happened, or this absolutely must be the power of God. Listen to what one commentator writes about this listing of diseases. He says, the listing is not particularly intended to specify disease types, which maybe you've heard sermons that talk about that. It is rather to underline the massive range and scale of Jesus' healing activity. In this survey of disease, Matthew, the writer, his thought ranges over the pain and the suffering involved, the imprisoning control of evil spirits, the episodic attacks of maladies such as epilepsy, and the awful limitations imposed by paralysis. Check this out. He says, a thread runs from the use of the words whole and every. In verse 23, the whole of Galilee, every disease and sickness. Through the uses of the word whole and all in verse 24, all those who were sick, the whole region of Syria. And then on in verse 25 to list all the parts of Jewish Palestine. So, these healings that we're reading about were a sign that God was doing a new thing now in Jesus. But he healed because he was turning back the effects of death and its power. So, I mean, let's just ask. Does that mean he still heals today? Does he still heal today? Or was this just limited to back then? Well, let's think about this. If his healing work was proof that the kingdom of God was already breaking into right now, that the end of the ages were meeting the present time, that the kingdom was already breaking in, then absolutely he still heals today. Absolutely he still calls us to pray for physical healing in our bodies because we do still see God working in miraculous ways even today. So absolutely we, as the people of Jesus, are called to expectantly wait on him to bring healing. Sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. But we're still called to see that that healing work that he did, it was in no way just limited to back then, but it continues to this day. So we see the healing range of Jesus, the extensiveness of his healing. But let's secondly look at the fact that no distance was too far. No distance was too far. The geography mentioned in this text is showing that Jesus is doing what Israel had been called to do, of calling all the nations to see what God was doing and to see what God is like. Jesus, as the new center of Israel, was calling to the world, bringing people to himself. Like, look at those. I think there's a map. Look at the regions it lists. You can't really read the words, but... I'm a little closer. Top right, Syria. Way up in the north. Samaria and Judea, further down in the south. The Decapolis is over to the east. And obviously in the west you have 
the Mediterranean. This range of places, if people back then heard it, it'd be like saying from LA to New York City. People knew what this meant. This is going everywhere. People from everywhere are coming to see this man, Jesus. And we're going to read this passage more at the end, and you can just listen now. But Isaiah 43 is happening right in front of us. Isaiah was a prophet 600 years before Jesus came. And he talked about when the true king comes, who will put God back on the throne. Here's what is going to happen. Isaiah 43, which is happening right here in Jesus. It says, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east. And from the west, I will gather you up. I will say to the north, give up. To the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Check this out, verse 8, Isaiah 43. Bring out the people who are blind, but who have ears, who are deaf, yet have ears. Do you see what's happening? The sons and daughters from far off are being called back. The ones who are blind can see. The ones who are deaf are hearing proclamation. Crowds followed from everywhere. So apparently no distance was too far. So this shows us two things. Jesus was willing to come for these people. He was willing to come for these people, to go to extreme lengths. Because he was the son of God, he was willing to call his brothers and sisters back to the Father. But let me just ask you this. Do you think Jesus is willing to go to those same lengths for you? Is Jesus willing to go to extreme lengths to heal you? But then it also asks us, what distance do you think is too far? Because apparently for these people, no distance was too far. No distance was too far for Jesus. But what afflictions do you have that are distancing you from Jesus? What distance do you think is too far for him to come? What addiction do you think is too powerful? Which area of your soul is too broken or too painful? What trauma from your past is the distance is too much? Jesus can't go there. He can't touch that. What part of your mind or soul do you think that he can't touch? Do you see that Jesus is drawn to these people? He's drawn to those who feel marred by suffering. Redemption Church, we have to realize that Jesus' healing is not limited by our suffering. His healing is not limited by our suffering. Do you believe that? I think we believe it in part, and we need to believe that more. And lastly, the last thing that I want us to see is his healing. We looked at his healing range. We looked at the fact that no distance is too far. Lastly, I want us to see that a new thing is happening. A new thing is happening in this passage. We see in Jesus preaching about the kingdom, coming to earth in these first four chapters of Matthew. He's calling the world to see that God is now king. And so we're going to take a pause in our sermon series after today. We've surveyed these first four chapters of Matthew. We're about to hit the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. 
So we're going to take a short pause, kind of leading up to Easter. But Jesus' healing and proclamation that we've seen shows us that a new thing has begun. A new work, a new horizon for the people of God has now dawned. One of my favorite uh, New Testament scholars, a man named M.T. Wright, in reflecting on this passage, asks the question of the church today. What would it take for followers of Jesus to be sent off with the word that a new thing was happening and that all should come quickly? What would it take for followers of Jesus to be sent off with a word that a new thing was happening and that all should come quickly? Redemption Church, what would it take for us as followers of Jesus to realize that we are those people being sent off with a word that a new thing has begun? It's happening because Jesus has brought the kingdom. It's happening because he has begun to destroy the realm of Satan. It's happening because he's making all things new. And Redemption Church, it's happening here in our very midst. It's happening here in our cities. Redemption Church, if, we are, if what we're reading in Matthew chapters 1 through 4 is true, that Jesus really is throwing down the gauntlet on Satan and death, that he has gone far and wide to proclaim this kingdom, this means that he's calling to us as well. Each one of us here this morning, he is calling to, to come and follow, and to follow him into this new thing that he is doing, this new thing of bringing revival to the broken, life to those in death. Each one of us is called to be in that work. I believe that Jesus is calling us as a church to shake off the fears, the doubts, and even the laziness of the past. I think over this last year, if we're honest with ourselves, with the realities brought on by covid and a lot of the pain that many of us have had to walk through, I think that many of us have grown lax. I think that many of us have grown lazy, grown weak, grown weary in our walk with Jesus. COVID has put realities in place that make it very easy to drift away from the church, from community, from partaking in the mission of God, from being a disciple of Jesus. It's very easy to slide into complacency. Some of us have grown lazy, but I think some of us have also just grown weary. Life legitimately is just harder. And I don't even have kids. Those of you that have kids, those of you with jobs and workplace situations that make it very difficult to work and earn an income right now, you're weary. And that's legitimate. I think for both groups, both for the lazy who need to be called and for the weary who need to be refreshed, I think we both need to see this new thing that is happening. I think that Jesus is stirring afresh in us as a people a new rekindled zeal for his kingdom. I believe that he is stirring in us afresh a love for our neighbors. That we actually give a rip about them. I think that he is giving us a renewed zeal and understanding to know what the good news of Jesus means, what the gospel means, that we have been given his righteous life 
and then we see how that trickles out into all of life. I think that he is giving us a new zeal to actually understand how the justice, the righteousness of God goes forth into our cities. It's not just through word, it's through deed. Believe that Jesus is calling us to this new thing, that he's actually calling us to actually care about our walk with him so that we know who we are, so that we're people who deeply love the scriptures, not just because we love study, but because the scriptures tell us who we are. I think he's calling us back to that as well. So Redemption Church, I want us to close this morning and to even take this pause in our series. I want us to think about the words of Isaiah 43 that I alluded to earlier. You can turn there now in your Bibles as we go to close. Redemption Church, I want us to realize that as Jesus called Israel back around himself, he's doing the same thing to us. He's calling us as his people to come back around him and see this new thing he's doing. So as I read this passage in Isaiah, I want you to just think about everything we've seen Jesus do in Matthew. Everything we've seen him do in terms of bringing this good news kingdom then I want you to ask, well, what's he doing here at Redemption? What's he doing here in me, in my life at Redemption Church for us as his people? So Isaiah 43, I'm going to start in verse 1. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, and I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together, the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. And let them hear and say, it is true. Verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we ask that 
as we take this minute to quiet our hearts after hearing the word, after having your spirit examine us, I ask Jesus that you would show us this new thing that you are doing. Jesus, I ask that the work that you began in Redemption Church years ago, that you have seen through various trials, that you would continue to do that, that you would call us as your people to know in our bones that you are for us and that you're sending us. For some of us, you're sending us to our families. For some of us, you're sending us to our kids to love them well. For some of us, you're sending us to our neighbors to be faithful, to actually just talk to them. For some of us, you're sending us into workplaces to not be afraid to be a witness, to not be afraid to love someone who's hard to love. Jesus, for some of us, you're calling us to be generous, to be a witness who shows that my identity is not in my money. Jesus, for some of us, you're calling us to be a witness by stepping out of our comfort zone. Things that have held us back in fear for years, Jesus, you're now calling to us, step into that. You finished that work and crushed death in his power at the cross. And Jesus, in a day coming very soon, you're going to finish that work, and you are going to bind the accuser of our souls. You are going to bind death. Would you help us be faithful? Would you help us to be consistent with your story of how we figure out how to be God's people in Hampton Roads in 2021? But also help us to be innovative, to be people who know how to live out creatively what it looks like to be Jesus' family today. Jesus, thank you for this group of people who you have called together to live out life. And I pray, Spirit of God, over Redemption Church going into the rest of this year, that we would be people who have a zeal and a passion to understand the gospel in our own souls and then to see it lived out so that every man, woman, and child could know and hear of Jesus and his good news. In Jesus' name, amen.